hope you enjoy this week's message and that as you listen, your faith truly does come alive in Jesus. Teaching month, yeah? And I am so blessed to be here because I really feel like God wants to do something. And I feel like it's an all thing. God wants to give us. God wants to give us a platform to surrender everything to Him. And I think, you know, you're here. You love Jesus. We're all on a journey. And that's amazing. And you're all making choices already to follow Him. Um, But it's a beautiful chance to have a privilege, to have time to stop and pause again and say, God, is there more? Is there more that I get the privilege of surrendering to you? Is there more that you want to look into my heart and speak to me? That's a really precious thing because Jesus is so precious. Amen? Okay. So, from the book of Daniel, just a quick intro. Um, Who's read the book of Daniel? Sorry. Yeah? Thanks, Ruth. So Daniel was a nobleman of Israel, possibly a prince. He was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, not by choice, by an invading army. Um, And he was, yeah, probably about 15 years old. And his name means God is judge. My God is judge. Anyone here called Daniel? No? It's my son. Was that like a half hand that'd be? Okay, there you go. Who's that? Isaac. Isaac, Daniel, nice name. Um, <clears throat> but you see throughout the book of Daniel, this theme comes through again and again, that the kingdom of God rules and reigns over the kingdoms of the world. And it's a powerful thing. So we're going to jump into it. The reason I'm preaching from this is, one, because that's what God said to preach from when I was praying. <laughs> but two, really because... Daniel is actually this remarkable story of a man that resolved in his heart to put the Lord first. And I just want to look at that as an example of what happens when we resolve in our hearts to put the Lord first, to surrender everything to him. This is one example of what happens in one man's life. It says in Daniel 1 verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So he was taken from Israel, where there's a lot of rules, um, you know, in the Holy Scriptures there, about how you eat your food and what you eat. And then he's taken to Babylon, where it's a totally different culture, and they don't know about Yahweh, they don't know about God. And the traditions there were that often before you eat, you take the first piece of meat and you sacrifice it to an idol and then you eat the rest. And then maybe you get the first part of the wine and you tip it out as an offering to the gods and then you drink the rest. So obviously, that wouldn't be very pleasing to the Lord, yeah? And he says, I do not want to defile myself. So it's not about the food. It's not really about him deciding to be super healthy. That's good to be healthy. It's about him saying in his heart, I care about God more than I care about this great power. So the Babylonian Empire were huge, they were most of the known world at that time, but he wasn't scared of the king of Babylon. He was, had you know, a holy fear of God. Does that make sense? Yeah? So I'm just going to take this quickly through quite a lot of Daniel. There's going to be quite a lot of reading, and then we're going to do an application at the end. Is that okay? So Daniel chapter 2. Um, Daniel seeks the Lord for revelation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So the king at the time has a dream, and he says to the people, 
I'm not telling you what my dream is. You come and tell me what my dream is, and then you interpret it. And then the magicians at the time, um, Danny wasn't actually present, you know, in the first meeting with the king. Um, they say, we can't do that, that's unfair. So he says, I'm going to kill you. So the message goes to Daniel, uh, you're going to be killed. And he says, let me go to the king and ask him for a time so that I can interpret the dream. So straight away he has this response of faith. God can give me the revelation. I'll go and tell the king, I just need time. And then God will give me the revelation of the dream and the interpretation. Like, that's gutsy, yeah? Would you do that? I don't know, like, I think I'd be a little bit like, I think maybe Jesus could give me the interpretation of the revelation. But it's a big thing, yeah? If you actually put yourself in issues. He goes to the king, and then God is faithful. God tells him the dream, and God tells him the revelation. And then this is what the king says. So this is down the bottom. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. If you were able to reveal, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So that's a guy who has grown up and is surrounded by worshipping demons. This is in chapter 2 of the book. He says, Your God is the king of kings. That's amazing, what a statement. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't go through them all, but King Nebuchadnezzar has other encounters with the Lord, which are incredible, and Daniel's a powerful part of that. In Daniel chapter 5, we see a different king, King Belteshazzar, and there, there's a hand that just appears on the wall, like creepy, yeah? Like if you just saw a physical hand up there, writing something with no body attached to it, like, what are you going to do? And it's a different language. You're going to want to know what the heck does it say. So the gold goblets had been taken, you know, the wine cups, had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. They were not to be used for worshipping other gods. But they were taken from the temple and they were taken to Babylon. And this king, King Belteshazzar, had a big party and he gets the goblets out and they have a feast and they're praising the gods of, like these demonic gods, with these gold goblets. Do you think God's not super happy about that? No. He's like, that's pretty dishonouring. The hand comes on the wall and the hand is basically saying, like, you've been weighed, you've been numbered to the king. Like, it's not okay. Daniel boldly comes and tells the king, um, I can interpret that for you. Like, he's called the setup. And Daniel says, yes, I can give you the interpretation. This is what it says. And he just boldly says to this king, who again has power over most of the known world, you need to stop sinning. You've walked in wickedness. He just has the fear of God. That's not being scared of God. That's a reverence for God above the reverence for the kingdoms of the world. He does have a respect for the kingdoms of the world. He's not just some snooty little kid that's like keeping people under the table. He serves with integrity. But he has an understanding in his heart that the kingdom of God is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. And that's still true today. There are kingdoms set up in the world today. And we should honour and respect you know, the law of the land. We should honour and respect our government. But the kingdom of God is sovereign above that. And it's an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. Amen?
So the next thing, the next chapter, so what do we see? So, so you see Daniel as a young man says, I don't want to defile myself. I re- he resolved in his heart, I want to put God first. That's the decision that he makes. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be influenced and come under uh, like the worship of idols. I want to put the Lord first. You see that take him to a place of influence. You see that take him to a place where he is used by God to bring the kingdom. But you also see that take him to this place, which is a place of extreme persecution. And that is not weird. So it says um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, I'll find it. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So it's pretty clear. Following Jesus is amazing and beautiful and will come with suffering. That's okay. (laughs) And God often uses the challenges and the suffering to set people free. And it kind of makes sense. You know, if you think Daniel's on a trajectory to say the Lord is God overall, and he's in a land that says, no, he's not, those things kind of almost have to clash, yeah? They don't naturally sit together. They're not congruent. And in this world and in your world, if you resolve in your heart, God is Lord of all, and you're in a world that says, no, he's not, at some point, there'll be conflict. That's okay. That's okay. So then what do we do? We walk with Jesus in that, and he uses that conflict for his glory. And he uses that conflict to bring his kingdom. And in my life, I've seen that many times. And so we see Daniel stand with the Lord. So I want to actually just quickly go through this. He's a man of integrity. He has a lot of authority through the whole kingdom. We've got a a third king by this time, King Darius. So this is the third king that still is, God is allowing Daniel to rub up against and to to have an impact with. And the king is thinking to put Daniel in charge, basically, to to kind of give him the lead role, obviously under the king, but to give him, like, authority because he just has really shown himself to be someone of integrity. And so the people are jealous. <laughs> the other ones that didn't, you know, aren't looking to get the promotion, they're pretty ticked off. And so they're like, we'll, we'll kill him. We'll find a way to kill him. We can't find anything wrong with him in terms of integrity. It's got to be something about his God. He's going to be true to his God. So that's where we'll, that's where we'll trip him up. So they go to the king and they say, um, let's make a rule that if anybody prays to any God apart from to the king Darius, We'll kill him. We'll chuck him in the fire. King Darius says, sure, let's do it. Stand set, can't change. And then Daniel, this is Daniel's response. Um, are we on that one? Can we go to one of the... That one. This is Daniel's response. Let's look at this. Now, Daniel learned that the decree had been published. This is what he does. Like, wet his pants, start crying, punch someone in the head because he's like, oh, I'm just so stressed out, i he went home to the upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. So he didn't hide, he didn't close the blinds. 
He didn't go and go and make it a bit more subtle. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Like he could have made it easier. He could have closed the curtains, you know. He could have. He could have just gone into the shady part of the house. But he's like, here I am. I'm praying to Jesus. I am not praying to that person. He doesn't hide it at all yet. Why? Where did this come from? Where did this strength come from? I believe that partly it started when he was 15 or before. He had already resolved. He had already resolved. That word resolve isn't like a fickle thing. It's like I am making a stand in my life. I want to put the Lord first. When we make a stand like that, God stands with us. And it's not my strength anymore or your strength anymore, but God and his Holy Spirit comes and says, I see that, and I'm going to help you in that. And so in this moment where Daniel is like, okay, kneeling right now might mean I get chucked into the lines. He has already chosen here. I love Jesus. I love God. I'm going to follow him. And at the, at the end, we're going to get a chance to just look at, is there anything you need to resolve before the Lord? Is there anything you want to resolve? And I kind of am hoping that there's something for all of us to resolve, even if you're fully surrendered to the Lord, even if you're fully committed, that again today I can say to the Lord, God, I want to give you everything. <clears throat> and as you want to do that, the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'll help you. You are not going to be alone in this. And in those times of challenge and trouble and conflict, Guess who stands with you? He's there. But the, the choice right now to resolve in our hearts to put God first is a precious opportunity. So, we won't go through it all because you possibly know the story, but Daniel is saved from the lions. And then this is what the king says. So I do want to read this. <clears throat> then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. He didn't have to do this. He could have just said, yay, Daniel's back. He didn't die. He, but he wrote this. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What do you think, Anna? Yeah, it's gutsy. It's not watered down, is it? That is not a watered down letter. That is not a letter of like, hey guys, I just want to tell you that you can add another idol to your collection. He's like, there is one that is actually the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the message that goes out because of Daniel standing firm. You don't know what will happen when you stand firm in conflict. You don't know what God will do. But maybe some of the conflicts that you face in your workplace, even over silly things, even over the stupidest things, where somebody's like, I want to do this inappropriate thing that's going to embarrass someone. And you say, no, I don't think you should do it. And then it becomes a big, stupid scenario. You don't know what God is actually doing to bring freedom and to bring the light of Christ into a dark place. When there's conflict, it's often because there's darkness, yeah? Because there's conflict with something. You're conflicting against the darkness. 
Well, praise God, don't we want a conflict against the darkness? Because we want the darkness to encounter the light. Darkness doesn't encounter the light without us confronting it. So let's be open to conflict in our lives. Not conflict with people, but conflict with the demonic powers that are holding people in death. And that's real, guys. I don't know, um, you don't have to stick your hand up, but who has had like some experience whether with you or a loved one of the demonic, where God has, sorry, where Satan has bound you or someone close to you, it is awful. It is awful. I've seen it. Like I've, I've seen this beautiful man that I love, and he was um, on the outside this really sweet guy with everything together, and then we had a time in our training school in Ethiopia where you got a chance to confess. You know, and make things right with the Lord, make things right with people. And as we were preparing for that, God really put him on my heart, and you need to be praying for him. I was like, oh, he's fine. Like, but God is strong, and you need to be praying for him. And he actually came to see um, our guest speaker. He was like, I've got some stuff to share. Are you sure it's going to be okay? And she's like, yep, you share. <laughs> and we're praying through the details of that. He, he comes to share and he was holding sin of such incredible deception that as he's sharing, he starts writhing it like a snake on the ground. And Satan does not want this man to be set free. Satan wants this man to stay in the deception and the bondage and the lies and the deceit that he was in. But is he free? Is he free when on the outside he looks like this good Christian guy? On the inside, the truth is that he had been covering a lot of wickedness. Like I'm talking pretty serious level things that lead to death. Satan didn't want to let him go. We saw him acting like a snake involuntarily. As we pray in the name of Jesus, he's set free, he's delivered, he gets his life right, he makes the truth known, he goes back to his church, he repents, and he's free. But what does that mean for him? Like he would have lived his whole life without Jesus breaking in, in darkness and deception. What kind of life is that? And I'm going to jump down to a slide really quickly. Can we jump down to the picture of Jesus? Um, so I don't like this picture because I don't think I don't think Jesus says, "Just trust me." I think Jesus says, here, I've got light, I've got joy, and I want to give it to you. Will you give me rubbish? And then sometimes I still say, no. <laughs> so it's like Jesus saying, here's a big teddy. Will you give me your stinky, broken thing? And you say, no. <laughs> but like a lighter version of that is this. Am I making myself clear? So for example, forgiveness. Now I've had wrestles in my life with forgiveness in the past, and what is, what is it when the Holy Spirit comes to you and he's knocking on my heart and he says, hey, I want you to forgive that person. For me, I'm like, I want my bitterness. I want my right to be angry and bitter. That's what it is, yeah? And God's saying, I want you to be free and I want you to have peace. He's not saying that it's okay. He's not saying that whatever happened to you is justified. He's not saying that you need to go back into a place of being hurt. But so often what Jesus is saying to us is freedom, life. He doesn't hide it. 
He says, I've come to give you life and life abundant. And so as we're talking today about surrendering to Jesus, I'm not asking you for your teddy. <laughs> I'm offering you, Jesus wants to give you everything. He wants to give you power and authority to walk with him into a dark and broken world and in your generation see life set free. He wants to use you to crush the head of the enemy so that people in your life around you know Jesus. Amen? So, he's not taking tea, but he does have something for you, and it is big, and maybe it's scary, and that's okay. I want to share a story with you. So, if we could click to the picture. <coughs> the, um, the picture of the water. place for me and Mesfin, my husband. Um, we had a miscarriage and we buried our child at this place. It's at the top of the cliffs at Redhead. And um, I'm not sharing that because I want to talk about pain and I'm okay. I'm sharing that because this was another instance for me of Jesus saying, will you give me a teddy? In a sense. So we had the miscarriage. I had an operation to um, the baby didn't have a heartbeat. Um, we had an operation to remove the baby because the baby didn't come. And I'm sorry if this is painful for you. And everyone's story in miscarriage is so different. So I'm not in any way saying that your story should be anything like mine. This is the journey that Jesus took me very personally on. And if you want prayer around anything like this, I'm really happy to come and talk with you later. Again, this is my story. Please don't, I'm not trying to put a teaching on this. But we actually asked if we could keep the baby, to bury the baby. And after many weeks, the hospital did testing on the baby just to make sure it wasn't a tumour or something, which we knew it wasn't and they knew it wasn't, but they wanted to do the testing. We said, fine, and they said, okay, come and pick up your baby. So we go to the hospital, we pick up this little box, you know, all wrapped up in an embroidered cloth and all the things. Messon digs a hole and we put our baby in the ground. And I can't walk away. It's time to go, and my feet won't move. So how can I leave my baby in the ground? I cannot move. I cannot move. But God came to me and he said, Amy, the baby's not there. Baby's with me. And he gave me the grace and the strength to walk away. And last time I went back to that place, there was a beautiful rainbow that just shone over the water there. And then I went back again on Friday, and there were all of these waves preaching, so many. And God, the reason I'm sharing this is because for me it was a challenge. And I didn't want to come fully to God and trust Him again. I wanted to reserve in my heart, and again, I really want to be careful here. God grieves with pain, and grief is healthy. I'm not saying don't grieve, and I'm not saying don't have pain. Pain is a real thing that God loves to bring healing, and that, that's a process. But for me, I wanted to remove myself from God. Okay, you took my baby. Obviously, that's not really how it goes, but you took my baby. I'm not going to trust you, and I'm not going to love you. Just a little bit less. Just a bit less. So I'll pray like this. And I'll trust you like this. Yeah? But God, in 
in his grace and in his mercy showed me that's Amy, that's what you're doing. And I got the chance. What do I want to do? Is God taking my teddy when he says to trust him? Is God taking my teddy when he says, Amy, you can love me? Is he taking my teddy? No. He wants to give me his love and his comfort. And so I said to God, I stood on the cliffs, and I said, I will 100% love you, and I will 100% trust you, and I will not remove my heart from you. And since then, God has set me free. And I love, we believe as a boy, I love my son, and I will see him one day. He's a beautiful boy. We saw him. God showed us a vision of what he looks like. He's a beautiful boy. But God wasn't taking my teddy when he wanted my heart still. He loves me, and he loves you. And as we come to a time of surrender, and as we come to a time where Jesus is saying to you, will you give everything? He's not taking your teddy. <laughs> Whatever it is that you need to get right with God, if God is not Lord of your whole life, if there is something holding you back, unforgiveness, bitterness, confusion, pain, unanswered questions, a love for money, a desire not to go, a desire not to suffer, a desire to have comfort, whatever, a thousand things. And I don't know, I can't judge that. And I still wrestle. And <laughs> I still wrestle. God is not taking you, Teddy. He loves you. He wants to give you life. He wants to bless you. He wants to set you free. But it's not just about you either. God wants to set you and me free and give us abundant life. And he wants to set the world free. And he wants those people in the cabinet that have zero chance outside of some miraculous kind of possibility of hearing Jesus. He wants them to know God and that they're loved, yeah? And he wants us to be part of it. And you already are because you're partnering in amazing ways and you're partnering with us and God's doing incredible things. So I want to take us into a quick time of application. Um, maybe if there's someone who could just come and play a song, that'd be really sweet. Um, so, I want to invite you to stand, if you, not yet, I'll explain it a little bit. If you just want to say, actually I, I will give you two minutes, <laughs> sorry, we're in a we'll give you two minutes to just ask the Lord, is there anything God that you want to knock on my heart? Daniel resolved in his heart, I won't defile myself. Is there anything that you need to resolve in your heart? What is that? What does that look like? Is there anything you need to surrender? Is there anything that you know that you're holding back from God? Is there any place in your life where maybe God, it's a wrestle, it's not, maybe he's not in first place. We're like, God, you can have my tithe, you can have my money, but you cannot have my time and you cannot have my soccer. Like, you can't. Well, it's not about God taking your teddy. It's not about him not wanting you to do soccer. Probably wants you to do soccer. But he wants to be first because he wants to bless you. Because he loves you, because he died for you, because he has life and life abundant. He has healing and he has hope and you won't find it anywhere else. You won't. You will find it in Jesus. Would you stand with me? Let's take two minutes. And then if you want to, there'll be a time and when you're ready, if you want to say, I am all in. I resolve that I will follow Jesus. Then I want to invite you to stand. So when you're ready, take some time. There's no pressure on this. If you feel like you need more time with the Lord, that's fine too. But Jesus, I want to pray, Lord God, that you'd set us free. And I want to pray, Lord God, particularly.
moment where I saw that picture at the beginning of like a grave, it's something that needs to be resurrected. God, if there are things that are deeply buried, maybe deep hurt, and we have said to you, you cannot come into this part of my heart, God. I will not trust you here. You get away from this bit. Then God, would you gently come by the Holy Spirit and help us in your love to see that you're not taking our teddy. You're giving us freedom.
for listening to this week's message. To find out more about what's happening in the life of our church and how you can join in with all the fun, head to newvinelengths.com.au or find us on social media. Have a lovely week.